or something like that. And if you put them all together, you had a, a decent uh, short biography of Abraham Lincoln. And so I, I, I recommend it to anybody. I, I know, but it was still in print a year ago because when we had our program last year, I had to order myself another copy. I keep giving it away is what I do, and, and I should get a gold star for that. Uh, and I am trying to help promote the fact that you uh, you attended Harvard and that and people in the history business would know this name, that they that one of the people you worked with, I don't know if he was your advisor or what, but was David Donald, and who's one of the most well-known historians, well-regarded in the United States, and certainly well-regarded in the field of Lincoln uh, scholarship. Uh, and uh, I think his one-volume biography is generally thought to be the best out there right now. Uh, we're going to talk about Abraham Lincoln tonight. You and I are. I think we're going to spend part of the program talking about something that's tangential or maybe an extension of the question about Lincoln owning slaves, uh, but uh, just sort of walk through Lincoln's career in terms of his relation to uh, African Americans, to, slave, to slavery, and to uh, the ultimate issuance of the, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and, and, and its aftermath, and, I, and maybe that'll kick some minds into motion and we'll have some folks reading about Abraham Lincoln, but uh, we will maybe have some small, smaller, in terms of time needed questions on the way. And in fact, I want to ask you a question, uh, a personal question for myself, and that has to do with uh, Lincoln's romance with what was her name, Anne? Anne Rutledge. Anne Rutledge, right. I was watching a, a drama. I'm a fan, and you, you will probably hang up on me when you find out this, but I fan of the Hallmark movies, and one of them had to, is, is Valentine. Uh, it, actually, it's a particular movie. It's a movie called Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, and it is about people who work in a in the, in the dead letter office. But uh, one of the things that they turned up with was a was a uh, uh, Valentine's card from 1835 that was they believed for some time that it uh, it might have been one sent by. Anne Rutledge to Abraham Lincoln. It was addressed to postmaster uh, in the town he was in in Illinois. I think he was postmaster of a town for for a brief time, and so on and so on. And that made me want to go and do research on it. And then I said, "Wait a minute! The night that Jerry's on, you can ask him. He will know." So how do you how do you feel about this? How about Lincoln and Anne Rutledge? Well, it, it's a great story and part of the Lincoln legend. When he was a young man living in the town of New Salem. Illinois. Uh, he was young and single, and there was a tavern keeper's daughter, was Anne Rutledge, and they seemed to have hit it off. But she was engaged to uh, a fellow who had gone west to seek his fortune. He wasn't in town, and so she wasn't really available for uh, courtship. Uh, we don't know much about the story beyond those bare facts and the fact that. She became ill and died, and that Lincoln mourned very deeply after her death. So it's been spun into a romance. The problem is, all this happened when Lincoln was in, in what, 1836, 35, uh, so he was 26, 27 years old, and nobody knew he was going to become the 16th president or that he would write the Emancipation Proclamation. So no one was taking notes on what Lincoln was doing. It was only 30 years later after his death that 
his law partner, William Herndon, began poking around and asking old timers, what do you remember about AIDS? Wasn't there some young woman that, oh, yes, I remember about Ann Rutledge. And they begin telling these stories, one after another. That's all the evidence we have, is reminiscences from 30 years later. So it's kind of like something that we would perceive in our lives today. It was gossip is what was going on. And, and 30 years later, when when uh, probably everybody was dead, uh, people repeated it to William Herndon, and, and so it became evidence at that point. Okay. That, that's right. And it, it was worse because uh, Herndon was a rival for Lincoln's attention with Mrs. Lincoln. And when Herndon first gave a public lecture, after Lincoln's death, about the Ann Rutledge story, in which he claimed that Ann Rutledge was Lincoln's true love of his life, and he always carried a torch for her the rest of his life, that hurt Mrs. Lincoln very deeply, and the two of them became bitter enemies after that. But they'd always been rivals. Uh, didn't he become engaged to uh, Mary Todd and then become unengaged and then become engaged again at some point? Yes, that that is true as well. He. Abraham was not not uh, uh, a smooth maneuverer. Um, one woman he stated once said that Mr. Lincoln is deficient in the little links that make up the chain of woman's happiness, which is a pretty oblique way of putting it, but whatever it was, he wasn't great at that sort of thing. Uh, yes, and he and Mary had an engagement, then it broke off, then it restarted. On the other hand, they stayed married, stayed true to one another for the rest of their lives. Uh, it, so we don't want to discount that. Right, right. It's probably happened to a lot of people. Okay, well, uh, we need to pause here. Uh, to our audience, we are listening to Dr. Jerry Prokopovich, who is a professor of history at East Carolina. In fact, he is, I don't believe you, you, he is sometimes chairman of the department. I think that's the way we would say it. And uh, and uh, he uh, has been our regular guest on our program for I think going on 15 years at least every every Lincoln's birthday and uh, we are recognizing that even though the actual day was February 12th which was last Friday so I said well uh, why don't we just have it on uh, on President's Day and so one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is the man who's generally regarded as the the greatest president. Uh, uh, that uh, the United States of America has ever had. And one of the things that he had to deal with was the Civil War, and one of the things that was uh, a big issue in his time that is still a big issue in our time is the place of uh, the African-Americans who were uh, at one time slaves in the United States and ultimately, uh, as a result of the outcome of the Civil War, became citizens. Uh, Jerry, if I get this wrong, correct me. But... But uh, but uh, they have not uh, had the full uh, list of civil rights and uh, that uh, one would expect, and it be continues to be an American issue that has to be confronted. And every year uh, we are we are reminded of that. That was part of what made the year 2020 such an interesting year. Not the only thing; there were there were other things. But I thought uh, we would ask Jerry to sort of take Lincoln back and get his ideas about uh, African-Americans and, and the issue of slavery uh, and then kind of t 
Richard Tofu uh, is becoming president, and uh, because there is, certainly is an issue there, uh, and uh, and then the ultimate uh, uh, issuance of the Emancipation Proclamation, and the generally universal belief that Abraham Lincoln was really special in one way, and that as president he was susceptible of growth. Uh, having said all that, we'll take the break and we'll come back with Dr. Prokopovitz and Abraham Lincoln in just a couple of minutes. Carolina University and an authority on the life and career of Abraham Lincoln and the presidency of Abraham Lincoln. Dr. Prokopovitz, uh, Abe Lincoln was born in the state of Kentucky, I believe, and, and during his lifetime, uh, his family was pretty poor. I don't believe they really did own any slaves. No, they definitely did not. There, there's no question about that. I'm, I'm not sure I would pick the same title for my book because what, if I were writing it today, because what seemed like an outrageous statement in 2008, uh, 13 years later, our societal appetite for what is outrageous has changed, and people now make outrageous statements and people, others believe them. Um, so let me be very clear. No, Lincoln did not own slaves. Uh, he was born in Kentucky, which was a slave state, but he left it uh, at the age of, of what, of, of nine. And after that, uh, lived in Indiana, which was a free territory, uh, then Illinois, which was a free state, and then became president. There was no time in his life when he had uh, either the opportunity or the motive to own another human being, at least not as we would think of it. Having said that, in a technical sense, uh, there was a time, for example, when a, a fellow citizen of Springfield, Illinois, who was African-American, was kidnapped and taken south into slavery. And Lincoln and some others raised funds uh, when they couldn't get the governor of Illinois to act. They raised funds to buy the man's freedom, to buy him back and bring him back to Illinois. So you could say technically he, he held title briefly until the person came back and was freed. Uh, but no, Lincoln did not own slaves. Uh, isn't there, I, I, don't, I really don't even want to ask this, but for the sense of completeness, it hasn't there sometimes has the question raised, uh, been raised that, that Mary Todd's uh, family owned slaves and that, that she may have inherited some and that indirectly he may have have uh, had some participation in that. Well, yes, that's true. The, the Todd family was wealthy. They were from Kentucky. They did own slaves. When Mary's father died, she inherited her fraction of the estate, which included the wealth from slaves who were sold. Uh, so that then became part of the Lincoln household. So yes, he benefited from living in a country where slavery was legal. But that made him the same as pretty much every free person in America. Uh, they all benefited in some way from the slave system. That's one of the, the fallacies I, I try to get my students to think beyond the idea that the South had slaves, they were bad, the North had freedom, that was good. It's not uh, a clear line like that at all. People in the North, free people, benefited from slavery in the price they paid for cotton goods and the uh, lower taxes they paid because of wealth generated by the South. Uh, even today, you know, you and I don't own slaves, 
but if we go to Walmart and buy a really cheap pair of tennis shoes made by somebody working in near slavery conditions in Indonesia, we benefit from a low price. I, I don't know what we're supposed to do. You know, we can't mail the extra money to Indonesia. Uh, but the point is, we're all complicit in the system. Uh, so Lincoln was too, sure. Uh, beyond the question of actually owning slaves, uh, in some of the preparation I was doing today, I read of a, he apparently wrote a letter to a sometime friend of his, Joshua Speed. Uh, they apparently took a trip down the Mississippi to sell some goods in New Orleans but on a flatboat, and one of the things they witnessed in St. Louis or somewhere was a was a slave sale, and Lincoln uh, exampled uh, uh, not particularly, uh, well, he just, this is something that appalled him, I think. And so whether he, uh, not only did he not own slaves, he was he were opposed to it. Well, he was clearly opposed to it his, his whole life. He, he never can be, there's nothing in the Lincoln record that shows him saying anything good about slavery. He never sympathized with it. Uh, whether it first struck him at that moment on the, the flatbed trip to New Orleans or at a later time, there was no question. Uh, that he was opposed to the institution of slavery. Uh, and and as, as he once said, if slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. Well, I'm working sort of hard on this question of how he felt about uh, African Americans and the question of slavery, because it, it seems like to me that the issue that he would have to confront in, in his presidency from the beginning uh, in fact, uh, the, the states that seceded, I think there were seven of them that seceded, said that uh, they seceded because he had been elected and they were fearful of what he would do about the question of slavery. And I bring this up only because I have friends who say that the Civil War didn't really have much to do with slavery. It was about states' rights or, or God only knows what. I don't agree with that. But, but this question of how Lincoln, well, how Lincoln feels about uh African-Americans in America and the question of slavery seems to be of, of some importance and will be of some importance in the way maybe he, that he prosecutes the war and, and whether he is sincere in, in, the, in putting out the proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation, all of that kind of stuff. And that's what I, I want us to talk about some in the, in the rest what? of the program. Uh, shall we go into it now? We, we, we can start with... Well, we've got about a minute. I'm, I'm, one of the things, you, you do this too, so you know there's always a question of balancing things. Let's don't start now. Let's, let's smooth a little bit and, uh, and remind people that you do a podcast called the Civil War Radio that can be heard on Voice America, not the Voice of America, but Voice America uh, every Wednesday night. Is it what, 7.30? It, uh, it goes out live. 7 to 8 p.m. if you go to the website called Voice America. But since it's a podcast, you can download it from iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Spotify or any of the places where people normally get podcasts. There's no charge for it. Uh, and you can listen to any of 500 past episodes in which I try to do what you're doing tonight, which is talk to someone and, and uh, learn what they have to say about Civil War history. I'll leave right there, and we'll repeat some of this information later on in the program. We'll be back right after we check the news. 
933 at WPTF. Tom Kearney here with our guest tonight on this President's Day, February 15, 2021, Dr. Gerald Perkovich, who is Professor of History at East Carolina University and has been on with us a number of times. He's, I suppose, I, if he'll let me call him, call him this, he's our Lincoln expert. And we, we were mentioning just before we went away the program that he does uh, where he uh, does a uh, uh, a program on uh, the internet that you can tune into, and uh, I think you said, we, uh, Joe, you said what about 500 back issues that, that are archived? And, uh, That's uh, right. Right, and I, in fact, I want to go back and hear one that you've done fairly recently with the uh, Gary Gallagher. Uh, I've always, I've had him on a couple of times, and I always enjoy uh, listening to him uh, talk about the Civil War and Civil War battlefields and things like that. But we're talking about president tonight, and that is a president that, that uh, Dr. Prokopovich knows a lot about, and that is uh, Abraham Lincoln. He used to work uh, at the Lincoln, uh, I think it was the Lincoln Museum, it, it was in Fort Wayne, is that where you were, Dr. Prokopovich? That's right. And yeah, that's uh, right. he was one of the people who, if somebody had a question, he was the person who to answer it, so he's certainly capable of answering most any question we would have. I thought it would be the uh, interesting tonight and, uh, and appropriate to talk a little bit about uh, Lincoln and the Civil War and uh, uh, that question of uh, what was the Civil War about and, and what was how, how Lincoln changed his mind about things throughout the war. So, Dr. Prokopovich, can we can we talk about uh, Lincoln and his role in the Civil War and in the role of, of helping to decide the fate of slavery and the Emancipation Proclamation and things like that. Sure. That, that's a, a, I mean, it's, it's a complex issue and, and certainly the most important part of Lincoln's presidential career. Uh, there is no question that the Southern states succeeded because of slavery. Any, anyone who doubts that can go back and read the records of the, the commissioners that each state sent to other states. When they seceded, they sent out uh, people to encourage other states to join them. And those speeches are on the record, and they're very clear that uh, we're doing this because we fear for our way of life uh, with Lincoln in office. They didn't know anything about Lincoln personally. All they knew was he was a Republican, and the Republican Party was irrevocably pledged to stop the spread of slavery. Now, Lincoln said that's different from saying we want to end it tomorrow. We'd like to, but we don't have any power to, so we're not going to. But we do want to stop it to spread into the Western territories, into Kansas, into Nebraska, uh, and further west. And everyone, north and south, pretty much agreed if it didn't continue to grow, slavery would ultimately die out. So Lincoln said stop the spread to white southerners. That meant eventually you're going to kill it. And Lincoln, with a nod, he said, sure, I want to kill it. Uh, but he didn't promise immediate abolition either. Uh, and, and that's where some people get confused and say, well, then he must not have been against slavery. Uh, but he had no power to, to enact immediate abolition. He was president, not king. The Constitution didn't give him any such authority. And it wasn't until well into the Civil War that he grasped the concept that as commander-in-chief, which the Constitution does give uh, to the presidency as a title, as commander-in-chief, he could take a military action to hurt the rebellion by taking away their human property. And thus the Emancipation Proclamation finally comes around in September 1862, 
And it does not free all the slaves. It only frees those that are in Confederate states, that are helping the Confederacy. And Lincoln feels that's as far as he can go constitutionally. But it does fulfill a lifelong goal of his, which was to ultimately end slavery. One of the questions invariably, uh, I don't know if this is the point to ask this question or not, that comes up, since Lincoln was assassinated right at the end of the war, when, when victory had just, uh, what was it, three or four days before that Lee had uh, signed it. I'm not sure if the, uh, well, the, the, the surrender at Durham Station uh, uh, by Joseph Johnson to William Sherman had actually not taken place when Lincoln was assassinated, uh, if I right. remember correctly. Uh, but the question of what Lincoln would have done uh, next because of the complications of, of dealing with, with the, the question of the former slaves in America and exactly what their role would be. That's a great question. Uh, the, you mentioned earlier about Lincoln changing his mind over time. Lincoln did seem to change his attitude toward African Americans uh, which is different from attitude towards slavery. He was always anti-slavery. But he seemed perplexed, as many Americans were, by what would happen after slavery. It was hard to imagine a multiracial society living in peace. And, of course, we're not quite living in peace even today. So what did happen was that as the war continued, as Lincoln saw regiments of black troops fighting successfully, Lincoln met black leaders like Sojourner Truth and, and Frederick Douglass, his view of African Americans became more comfortable in recognition that they were not so different from the white people he knew. And he began to talk about giving the right to vote to black people, particularly those who said who had fought in our ranks. He felt if you were a soldier, a veteran, you would earn the right to vote, whatever your color. And thus, that was one of the reasons when he made that statement publicly in the last week of his life that helped inspire John Wilkes Booth to assassinate him a few days later. So had Lincoln lived, I think he would have continued his effort to increase the right to vote for the former slaves, which is something his successor, Andrew Johnson, was irrevocably opposed to. And helped, Johnson helped lead us into a, a century of Jim Crow. I, I don't think Lincoln would have done that. One of the things that I, I, I every year when we we do this program, I do a little new preparation. I learn something every year, and uh, what I learned this year was that uh, that Lincoln was uh, early on in his career as uh, president, and he had been this way before. He was one of those people who believed in colonizing of, of slaves. Uh, and one of the things that I, that I have found in, in reading about uh, prominent leaders in American history, including people like Jefferson and Washington, is that they may have thought about it, and indeed some of them did manumit, or that is, free their slaves, but they would say at some point that they would free every slave in America, except they weren't sure exactly how that would work out. That is, could blacks and whites live in the country together? And I think the general feeling was that they could not. And the result was that uh, you, they had to think up a plan, and, and this is one that Lincoln subscribed to until the war was, was uh, already taking place, that, that the, there would be some uh, uh, manumission and 
uh, there would be some compensation to the to the owners, uh, no compensation to the slaves, by the way, and that they would be colonized somewhere like the the effort in in Africa or perhaps in northern South America. That, well, that, that's right. When Lincoln was contemplating the proclamation in the summer of 1862, he called one meeting with uh, a delegation of white slaveholders from Kentucky and other states that had stayed in the Union but still had slavery. And he said to them, what if we passed a bill that paid you to set the slaves free? That essentially, the federal government would buy and release uh, your slaves. We'll compensate you, in other words, for, for freedom. And they were not interested. They just, this was their way of life. The idea of living any other way was unthinkable. So they said no. Then he called in a delegation of black leaders, which no president had ever done, and said to them, the world will eventually end slavery. When it's over, I don't see how we can live together. We, no race has ever been more badly treated than yours. Uh, why would you want to stay here? Would it not be better for you to voluntarily go? as you suggest, tons in South America uh, or Central America. And we'll, we'll pay your way there, we'll set you up. Wouldn't that be better? And they answered politely, thank you, Mr. President, for sharing your thoughts. But they had no interest in leaving. They had been in America longer than most white people had. There had been no legal importation of slaves since 1808, while there had been a lot of white immigration, especially from Ireland uh, and Germany since then. So the average black family had deeper roots in America than the average white family. And the idea that they should be the ones to leave did not appeal. When you read enough about Lincoln, and I've always been sort of afraid of, of becoming fascinated by Lincoln because it was kind of like a, a very deep well that once you fell in, you could never get out. And I'm talking about trying to find out about him and understand him. It seems like he had a way about him in terms of... of, uh, of uh, compromising things without without losing face, without losing grace. And that is to say, he, he, could, he could find a way through the woods, so to speak. And uh, that's, that's how he was proceeding. And that was a, a way of not reducing, forgive the, the words, but not reducing things to black and white. And that was something that uh, Andrew Johnson and, uh, and many others were not able to master. That's true. He was a brilliant politician, Lincoln was. He was able to compromise with people, negotiate with people, get something, get what he wanted out of a situation without causing the other side to lose face or to feel bad about it. He would give away what he could to make the deal work. He was not an ideologue. Uh, he was a practical politician, and whereas the ideologue got attention and public opinion and moved things, and they're important in any cause as well. Uh, Lincoln was one who actually moved the levers to get things done. And as you pointed out, uh, he changed his mind over time. When the facts changed, he changed his mind. He didn't stick uh, in a ditch and say, I'm going to stay here no matter what, how the world changes. For example, on the colonization question we were just talking about, by 1864, he gave up that idea. He saw that African Americans were not the least bit interested in leaving the country uh, to go to a place they'd never been, their, their parents had never been, their grandparents had never been. They didn't want to go. And his secretary, John Hay, wrote in his diary, I'm glad to see 
the tycoon, as they called Lincoln, has sloughed off that idea of colonization. He, he gave up that idea when it no longer made sense, especially after black soldiers were fighting for the country. The idea of asking a soldier to put his life on the line for the country and afterwards say, now get out, uh, just struck him, I think, as completely a one of the things that I learned in my most recent preparation was that Lincoln was probably the first, well, not probably, was the first president to invite black people to the White House and to confront them just as he would have any other citizen of the country. And uh, and that was very unusual. I know as late as, um, when was it, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was uh, quite, quite impressed by Booker T. Washington, so he invited him to dinner, and such a brouhaha you never could, could have imagined took place. Yeah, that's true. That, that you know, what we take just for granted that people can at least be civil to one another uh, in in a previous century was considered unacceptable to some people. So yes, Lincoln did uh, uh, invite people, uh, specifically Frederick Douglass, on several occasions to come and talk with him. When Lincoln was uh, at his reception following the second inaugural, he was in the White House. There's a huge crowd, and Frederick Douglass came, and the White House door guards would not let him in. And he sent a card that said, take this to the president, tell him I'm here. And they, they finally did that, and he sent word, you know, of course let, let him in. And uh, he insisted that Douglas cut to the head of the line of hundreds of people waiting to shake Lincoln's hand and uh, in front of all these people to make sure the world was seeing it. You know, shook Douglas's hand and said, what did you think of my speech today? Uh, I value your opinion more than almost anyone else's. That kind of symbolism was important because that was not how important white people behaved in that era. You know, sometimes when people are venerating Abraham Lincoln, they say, you know, he's, a, he's the, the ultimate product of the American system or something like that. You know, he rose from the log cabin to, to be president. I just, from as you were talking there and from things that I've, I've read over the years, he was not typically American anything. He was a very unique American and that uh, for the kinds of things that we're talking about now. And that is, he, he, could re he did realize when he saw the, the, uh, the uh, Southern troops that, uh, well, he just didn't believe that he could, uh, could uh, uh, deprive them of, of their citizenship. Now, of course, it took a while to do that because the 13th Amendment, I think, didn't pass until about eight months after he had been, uh, which, it, which was the formal legal ending of slavery rather than by, you know, the war power and so on. But, but it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating uh, uh, guy is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Uh, shall I presume that if you were going to recommend, and we're going to take a break, and then I want you to maybe tell us a couple of questions that somebody asked at the museum that you, you found interesting, uh, and maybe found some humor or some special in. But before we take a break, a little bibliography. Can I presume that you would still recommend Dr. Donald's book as the best one-volume uh, biography of Abraham yeah. Lincoln? Yeah, I think it stands up very well. It's called Lincoln, Simply Lincoln by David Herbert Donald. Uh, it's now 10, 20, 25 years old. Uh, but it still, I think, does stand up very well as... as uh, if you're going to read just one book on Abraham Lincoln, I would still recommend that book. 
Dr. Gerald Prokopovich, professor of history at East Carolina University, and we're talking about Abraham Lincoln on this President's Day, February 15th, in the year 2021. When we, when we come back, we will close out our broadcast by asking Dr. Prokopovich uh, maybe some of his favorite questions that he, he fielded while he was working at the Lincoln Museum, and uh, we'll hope that we presented something that uh, will remind you of the 16th President of the United States and his significance in holding the country together uh, during uh, the Civil War. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Almost time to support We've got a couple of minutes left in the program tonight. Jerry, is there one particular question or story that from your time at the museum, from all the people that you you talked to that that, uh, kind of runs around in your head and you remember it, there's something funny that might have happened or unusual? You know, to be honest, Tom, the, the answer is, is no, because every question was my favorite question when somebody was asking it. If somebody asks a question when you're giving a tour or, or a lecture or teaching in any fashion, uh, and you say any questions and there's dead silence, you know, some people in, in some businesses, maybe in the military, I don't know, uh, people think that's appropriate, good, I've, I've taught everything, they're, they're silent, I've done my job. Uh, but, you know, you know that it's just the other way around. When when people respond with questions, when the phones light up, when people want to know things, uh, then, you know, oh, this is working, they like the exhibit, they're learning from it, they're challenged by it, uh, this is great. So I, I loved it when we got questions uh, no matter what they were, from from the kindergartner who wanted to know what was Lincoln's shoe size or how tall was Lincoln, uh, or from adults who asked the kind of questions you're asking tonight, challenging questions about Lincoln and slavery or Lincoln and race, uh, it, it didn't matter. Uh, there, there well, was, I enjoyed you just as you meant it to then, because I was interested in, well, one of the most interesting things to me was that Lincoln did not, think much about what he ate because he didn't eat very much. Uh, he apparently sort of liked gruel and, and, and bread, what we in the South would have called stopping maybe, but he just did not think about food. It was not something that that, that, that ever bothered him. And, uh, that, uh, and, and when we think about him, we have to think about the fact that he spent no more than one year of schooling in his entire life, and yet he's regarded uh, by scholars, I think, as probably the the most literate of presidents in that he, he, he was a better writer than anybody except maybe well, up in the only people up in the league with him. I think U.S. Grant is regarded as being up there now and maybe Thomas Jefferson. But uh, he, uh, that's he right. Have, but it, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was a man of contradictions like that. It, it, yeah, he didn't care about food. He didn't care about what he was wearing. Mary always had to make sure he looked proper, that he had the right clothes on. He didn't care about money. Specifically, they, they found uncashed pay warrants in his desk after his death. Uh, he just never got around to, to cash him. He wanted to have enough and be comfortable, but he didn't have the, the, the desire to gain more money all the time. Uh, you know what we've got to do, Jerry? And I'm going to call uh, you right after the program. So we're going to have to leave right now. I, I was enjoying you so much I forgot to look at the clock. But thank you for being with us tonight. I, I want to call you in just a couple of minutes. and. Uh, and uh, but uh, John, you can you can take the program to the end now. 